Thank you very much. Can I ask you for a favor? See, uh, you got to understand something about me. I'm a Jutino. You might be wondering what a Jutino is, whether that's an explosive combination. Because Jutinos are those of us who are Jews born in Latino countries, which is my case. I was born in Argentina. So, you know, Jewish people really, you know, have a reputation being a little bit pushy and a little bit abrupt. Uh, but so mix that with Latino. So, boy, what a combination. So, I tell you what, the secret of this message is that you can see even the, the smallest detail. So, having said that, could I ask you to come as much as you can forward? Would you do that? Sit forward. Uh, so, uh, so I can also, you know, you're already kind of far away, and uh, I want to share something that is very personal uh, with you, and uh, so we want this to be a, a, a really family experience, because that's what Passover is. See, today, uh, you know, we're going to look at, a, we're going to experience a message called uh, Messiah, Passover, and the Lord's Supper. And you may be wondering, oh, you know, what's the relationship? You know, what's got Jesus got to do with Passover? I mean, we are we're nice Christians living in Texas. You know, so why? What's the connection? Well, the thing is, when Yeshua, as we call him in Hebrew, gave us the Lord's Supper, he was celebrating Passover. And because he was celebrating Passover, he was able to give us what we know today as the Lord's Supper. Who can deny the importance of the Lord's Supper? I mean, it is the most important expression of our faith in our Messiah. I mean, and that is why this is our, the memorial he left us. But I want you to notice a couple of few things. Number one, he left us a very human thing to remember a very divine thing. Why why do I say that he left us a very human thing? He left us a table. A table. There's nothing more human than a table. I mean, think about your homes. I mean, isn't the table the center of the life of your house? I mean, first of all, we come to the table for the most basic of our needs. And what's the, you know, to eat. We need to eat. And then the life of a family happens around that table. Now, think about that for a moment. Now, I don't know what kind of table you have at home. Maybe you have one of those long, expensive oak tables. Maybe you're like me, you know, I have a cheap IKEA table. (laughs) But so much of what happens at our homes happens around the table. When you start in the morning... You know, and, and when, you know, with your, with your wife, with your husband, with your family, you gather around that table to start the day. When there is something important to celebrate, again, where do you come to? You come to that table. And even when there is something to mourn, you know, when you have to cry, it's usually, again, around that table with a cup of tea, with a cup of coffee. That table. And so, I think it's very significant that... Jesus left us a table to be the center of the life of this family that is the church. But again, have you ever wondered why did he give us the bread? Why did he give us the cup? Why did he choose something else? Many years ago, I was at a, at a church, you know, uh, at a church visiting, and uh, the pastor was preaching a message about the Lord's Supper. And he was asking this very same question. Why did Jesus give us the cup? Why did Jesus give us the bread? And, you know, and, you know we preachers like to repeat ourselves, you know. So, ten minutes later, why did Jesus give us the bread? Why did Jesus give us this, the, the cup? You know, and by the third time, I just felt like saying, I know, I know, you know. But imagine my disappointment when at the end of the message he says, well, he gave us those two elements because they are the two most common things you can find in any table around the world. You know, and I just felt like saying, no. That's not the reason why he gave us the cup of the bread. 
He gave us the cup and the bread because he was celebrating Passover. And that cup and that bread had a special meaning during the Passover. A meaning that he transformed those elements to which he gave a new, a new meaning in the new covenant. The new covenant that we have in his body and his blood. So what is our objective tonight? Our objective tonight is to sit at that table. We're going to go through what is both a traditional Passover ceremony, uh, but we're also going to try to see what happened the night that the Lord was betrayed. And hopefully we will learn, we will walk out of here knowing much more about the profound significance of the Lord's Supper. Okay? So, having said this, let me go to the Bible. And if you have your phones or your Bibles or your tablets or whatever you use, turn with me to the 22nd chapter of Luke. Luke 22. This is what the Word of God says. Verse 1. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. For they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then... Came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus and Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. What do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house. The teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, and so they prepared the Passover. Now, Passover begins a seven-day feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during this time, we don't eat anything that contains leaven. Why no leaven, you may ask? Well, throughout Scripture, we find that leaven is usually used as a symbol of sin. And since this is a holy convocation... This is a holy occasion. We cannot have anything in the house that contains leaven. That is why about six weeks before Passover, the lady of the house, the mother, begins a thorough cleaning of the house. So she goes around the house and she throws away anything that contains leaven. Uh, yeast, uh, bread, brownies, cookies, anything thrown away because, again, this is a holy convocation, and we cannot have anything in the house that contains leaven. In other words, we can't have anything in the house that represents? Very good. Once the house is cleansed, we're ready to celebrate the Passover Seder. Seder is a Hebrew word, which means order. Because during Passover, we have a lot of things that we need to do in a very specific order. Uh, during Passover, we do a bunch of things. We... Um, we sing, we pray, we read, uh, we, even have a, 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 we even have a meal. And everything has to be done in a very precise order. Now, everything begins with the lighting of the candles. And this is usually the duty and the honor of the mother. So, she will light the candles like this. And then she'll say this prayer. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kiddishanu B'mitzvotav V'itzivanu Ne'atlich Ner Shel Pesach Blessed are thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who have blessed us with your commandments and have given us the commandment of lighting the lights of the Passover candles. I think it's very appropriate that a woman lights these candles. For this reminds me that the Messiah, the light of the world, will not come from the seed of man, but from the seed of the woman and the will of God. Just as the prophet Isaiah foretold, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now, 
Now it is time for the Father to say the prayer over the first cup. During our, the Passover service, we drink from our cups four times. Four times. And every time we do, the cup receives a special name. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. Then comes the second cup, the cup of plagues. And then comes the third cup, the cup of redemption. And this is the one that Jesus took to give us the Lord's Supper. And, this, and he did that because this is the most important moment of the whole ceremony. But we'll get back to this. And then finally we have the last cup, the cup of praise. It is with the first cup that the Father offers the first prayer. So he holds the cup like this, puts his hand on top of the glass, and says the following prayer. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam borei perich agafen Amen Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us the fruit of the vine. Amen. The service has begun, and now the youngest child in the home comes to ask the four traditional questions of Passover. These questions are in Hebrew, of course. They're chanted, and these questions will give us the opportunity to retell the story and the lessons of Passover. The first one goes like this. Which translated means, why is this night different from all other nights? And we explain. This is what we do to remember what the Lord our God did for us. When he took us out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. See, the message of Passover is a message of freedom. It's a message of liberation. For we, we the Jewish people were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And we lived a horrible life. And in our desperation, we cried out to God. And God sent a liberator. Remember his name? No. Moses, right. So, Moses came and said those famous words to Pharaoh. Let my people go. But Pharaoh was not so ready to let us go. And so God brought plagues upon the land of Egypt. One, two, three, nothing. Four, five, six, nothing. Seven, eight, nine, nothing. Until finally God said, that's enough. I'm going to bring a final and terrible plague. And when I do that, the angel of death is going to come upon the land of Egypt and is going to kill every firstborn in every household in the land of Egypt. But in his mercy, in his grace, God decided to save the Jewish people. And how did he decide to do that? Through a lamb. A perfect, a spotless lamb. And so God told the Jewish people, take a perfect lamb, sacrifice that lamb on the altar, and then apply the blood of those lambs to the doorposts of our homes. First on the top, and then on the sides. And so, when that night, when the angel of death came to the land of Egypt, and he saw the blood of those lambs to the doorposts of our homes, the angel of death passed over the homes of the Jewish people. And so, we get the name for the holiday, Passover. Why? Because the angel of death passed over the homes of the Jewish people because, because of the blood. The blood of a lamb. What a powerful picture of redemption. But I'm sure you know of a greater picture of redemption. Because just as my ancestors had life, because they put the blood of those lambs on the doorposts of their homes, today we also have life. But eternal and abundant life if we apply the blood of Messiah Yeshua to the doorposts of our hearts. Amen? Great. Second question. Why is it that tonight we eat only unleavened bread? And we explain. Our ancestors, in the rush to leave the land of Egypt, they had to take the dough, but it hadn't risen yet. A very intriguing element at the Passover table is this called the matzah tosh. You see this? Why is it intriguing? Let me tell you why. This is like a pouch. One pouch. 
But the pouch has three compartments. One, two, and three. And inside each compartment, we have a piece of, an, of unleavened bread. Hmm. It's one, but it's one, two, and three. So we could say it's one, but it's actually three. Or we could say it's three, but it, where did I see that? Hmm. Oh, no, 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 it can't be. This is a Jewish thing. No, 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 no. It can't be. It can't be, right? Anyway, the interesting thing is that at this time of the service, the father needs to remove the middle piece of bread. So we said one, the one in the middle. The father takes out the middle piece of matzah. He says a prayer. Blessed art thou, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gives us bread from the earth. Amen. And he breaks it in two. He puts one part aside, but to the other one, he gives a special name. The Afi Komen. Try to say it with me, shall we? Afikomen. Once again. Afikomen is not a Hebrew word. It's a Greek word. And it means he who comes later. Why? Because we don't eat this now. What do we do? We actually wrap it in a piece of cloth. And we're going to hide it somewhere in the house. By the way, we have pillows over the chairs to remind us that, you know, Passover didn't, you know, Judaism didn't start in New York City. You know, start in the Middle East. And uh, even until now, in the Middle East, and Jesus, by the way, did not sit at a table. I mean, how many of you have seen the, you know, the famous painting, The Last Supper? You've seen it, right? Well, I've seen it with my own eyes. I went to Milan to see it. Wonderful painting. Leonardo had no idea of, of history because Jesus did not sit at a table. He actually reclined over pillows with his apostles. Also, Leonardo painted, according to, uh, to the painting, when does, the, when does, the, when does the, the meal take place? During the day or during the night? During the day. Why? He was Italian. What's the main meal for Italians? Lunch. You know, and finally, Leonardo just painted this beautiful, you know, you know, Pastor Shane took me to uh, this great diner you got here, the Paris, uh, what is it, the Paris diner, the Paris, uh, oh, what a great, I mean, they have these fluffy, you know, pastries and stuff, you know, like, like the one that, uh, that Leonardo painted on the Last Supper. Jesus never had that. You know, I- I'll tell you a secret, I'll tell you something more. Uh, if you look at the painting, you know what, what Leonardo painting, uh, painted that uh, what did Jesus and the apostles have for lunch? Fish. Why? He was Catholic. <laughs> so he was an Italian Catholic. So when you look at Leonardo's Last Supper, you're not looking at the Last Supper. You're looking at the last Catholic Italian lunch. Okay? So just so we know, just so we know. Uh, uh, I remember, uh, uh, by the way, I told you I grew up in Argentina, so when people hear that I'm going to Dallas, you know what name comes to mind? Uh, some of you are too young to remember. J.R. <laughs> oh, you're going to see the South Fork Ranch, huh? Anyway, those of you who are less than 50, ask your elders about that, you know, who was J.R. and, and the South Fork Ranch. Um, anyway, so... Afrikomen, we don't eat it now. It's hidden, like buried. Now, let me retrace my steps. Matzatosh, pouch, one, but actually three, or three, that seem like one. We took out the middle one. The middle one was broken. The middle one was wrapped, and it was hidden like buried. Hmm. 
Does that sound familiar? Hmm, maybe. Anyway, so that remains hidden. We can't touch it. But at the end of the service, we'll have to bring it back or we won't be able to finish. Okay? Third and fourth questions. Why is it that tonight we eat only bitter herbs? And the other question, why do we dip the bitter herbs in salty water? Well, as I said, during Passover, we learn in many ways. And one of them is tasting. It's a true multimedia presentation. And uh, so here we have a Seder plate. And uh, do you notice, can you notice that we have like different compartments inside? Uh, Inside these compartments, we have little bowls with different elements. And each of these elements remind us of the story of Passover. Now, first one. The first one is called carpas or greens. And we generally use parsley or lettuce. Now, these greens represent life. And why? Well, because greens say, if you have something green, you know that there is water. If there is water, you know there is life. Now, we're used to green, we're used to water uh, here in, uh, you know, the great United States and particularly in Texas. But in Israel, oh my God. I mean, uh, it's really, if you find something green, then you know there is life. And water is such a precious commodity in Israel. Water is very expensive. If you really want to show that you've made it in life in Israel, you know how you do it? Not with your car, not with your house, but with a pool full of water. <laughs> because water is incredibly expensive. There's very, the, the, only real, the only two sources of real water in Israel these days is the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake, in case you didn't know. The Jordan River is pretty much drying up. And then Israel is one of the greatest uh, producers of, I don't know how you call this, uh, uh, trans- uh, Israel is a leader in the transformation of seawater into uh, uh, drinkable water. And, um, um, desalinization. In desalinization. Thank you very much. Uh, pretty much every home in Israel has a tank to conserve rainwater because it is extremely expensive. So water is definitely a precious commodity. And so these greens represent life. And before we eat them, we dip them in salty water, which is a symbol of tears. And with this, we remember that life, particularly the life of our ancestors, was full of tears. And our lives could be actually a life of tears. The next element is very peculiar. This is what, here we have fresh ground horseradish. And the interesting thing is that at this time, we're supposed to take a piece of matzah, take a nice lump, and eat it up. Volunteers, you know what happens when you eat this much horseradish? You start crying. Is it a nice thing to, to, to do? No. But I'm going to show you a part of the Bible where Jesus actually took the horseradish. Let me show you. John chapter 13, a very famous text. And uh, I'm sure you have read it. I'm sure like many of these things, it's something like, well, I wonder why he did that. Listen, John 13, starting in verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, sorry, I tell you, the Texan came out there, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know of which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to his disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Why would Jesus dip the bread in the dish? Very simple. Because even until today, at this part of the service, you need to dip the bread in the horseradish, which is very bitter, and eat it. So, in order to show who was going to betray him, 
in order to show who was going to make him go through a very bitter experience, Jesus, I imagine, took the bread, dipped it in the horseradish or in the bitter herbs that was used at that time, and said, here, Judas, I know it's you. I know what you're going to do. And this is how I feel about it. Isn't it amazing? Well, sometimes I wonder, you know, Jesus, you know, had some sense of humor and said, here, have fun, bon appetit. But anyway, so that's why we have the horseradish. The next element is quite different. By the way, uh, the horseradish, uh, as I said, is bitter. And the rabbis say that the root, it's a root and it's bitter. And the rabbis say the root of life is bitter. And that's why we need God's salvation uh, so we can get through it. Okay, the next element is quite different. This is what we call the haroseth. The haroseth is a mixture made with uh, chopped apples, cinnamon, sugar, uh, grape juice, sometimes with uh, some, uh, you put some um, raisins. And I can assure you this is, this is delicious. Now look at the color. Look at the brownish color. The rabbis say that this mixture reminds us of the mortar that the Jewish people used to make to make bricks for Pharaoh. But people say that, that's, that doesn't make sense. How could it be that such a sweet mixture reminds us of such a bitter life? And again, the rabbis, who sometimes have an answer for everything, said, well, even the bitterest life is sweetened with the promise of redemption. And I certainly hope that's a reality in your life. Life is, life is you know, life, life can be bitter and full of frustration. But in those moments, I certainly hope that you have Jesus walking with you through those dark times. The last element, there's one more element, and this is called the Hagiga. Hagiga was the name given to the sacrifice brought to the temple. And now we do something a little bit strange. We take this hard-boiled egg, and we put it over the flame, and we burn it. And why do we burn it? Because the Hagiga is a symbol of grief for the Jewish people. Symbol of grief because, if you remember, in the year 70 AD, what happened? The temple was destroyed. And since then, we have not been able to make any sacrifices. And that is why we remember with grief this, uh, that the Hagig, we haven't been able to bring a Hagiga to the temple in Jerusalem since the year 70 AD. Of course, Jesus did not have this at his table. Why not? Very simple. The temple stood when he was there, and probably he ate, contrary to Leonardo, who thought that they had eaten fish. Jesus and his disciples probably ate the lamb that had been sacrificed, as Exodus 12 demanded. There's one last element at the Passover table, which I do not have here for a reason. This is also a symbol of grief for the Jewish people. And this is called the Zoroah. The Zoroah is the shank bone of a lamb, which we also put over the flame so it burns. And why is it also a symbol of grief? Again, because it reminds us that since the temple was destroyed, we have not been able to make any more sacrifices. Now, why don't I have it here? For a very simple reason. I don't think we need any more sacrifices. Because I, and I hope you, have believed in the words of John, as he's called in Jewish circles, John the Mercer. John the Baptist, who one day was baptizing at the River Jordan. And then he saw Jesus come. And remember his words? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, we no longer need to make sacrifices. God sent a final sacrifice. Yeshua the Messiah, and his blood cleanses, washes away all our sins. Can I get an amen? amen? There you go. Okay, now we come to the second cup, the cup of plagues. Now, in Judaism, a full cup is a symbol of complete joy. However, our joy is not complete now, because we need to remember 
the plagues. You see, the Jewish people were saved from, uh, from the, the, the angel of death. But that night, there was a lot of crying, there was a lot of mourning, there was a lot of suffering in the land of Egypt. So, even in this night, we cannot rejoice over the pain and the suffering of others. So, as a way of showing our solidarity, we are going to empty from our cups ten times, ten drops, to remember the ten plagues of Egypt. And this is a great uh, learning device also. And it goes like this. So, finger, juice, and here we go. Blood, frogs, nuts, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, Darkness, death. Passover is a night of rejoicing for the Jewish people. But as I said, even tonight, we cannot rejoice. Our joy cannot be complete. when we know that so many do not, so many died on that night. And I think there's a lesson for us as believers in Yeshua. We live in a suffering world. We live in a world that cries out. So many terrible things happen. I think it is our duty as followers of him, of our Messiah, to really to show his love, to show who he is, to show the real Yeshua, something that unfortunately many Jewish people have no idea of who he is. So I hope that we will be believers, followers, disciples of Yeshua, who show his love, his joy to the whole world. Amen? Okay. All right, now... It would be time for dinner. Uh, but I'm not going to serve any great dinner here, which reminds me of the first time I was invited to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I accepted the Lord when I was 15 years old. And uh, two, year, two weeks after accepting the Lord, I get invited to the Lord's Supper. Oh, sounds important. Sounds good. And even in that early age, you know, I did enjoy a good meal. So I said, wow, they're inviting me. And on top of that, it was at 6 p.m. So I said, wow, it's, no, it's not supper. It's only, it's the Lord's Supper. That must be pretty good. Imagine my disappointment when I get to the church. We go through the whole thing, and the only thing they serve is grape juice and bread. I said, oh, my God. Then they said that we Jews are stingy, you know. <laughs> what the heck did I get myself into? Uh, but again, what did I know? You know, uh, but uh, that, that's why it's called the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper because they ate supper. Again, the menu was lamb, something that Jewish people do not eat today. It is absolutely forbidden. Why? Because, again, the only lamb you were supposed to eat was the lamb sacrificed on the altar. But let me take just five minutes to tell you a little bit about Hope for Israel. Hope for Israel is a ministry from Israel. Started by an Israeli man, an Israeli Jewish believer in Jesus who was born in Israel in a kibbutz, did the army, and at one point in his life, he accepted the Lord. His name is Moran Rosenblatt. And so now for 18 years, we have been ministering to not only the Jewish people in Israel, but also the Druze people and even the Arabs, the Arab people, because the hope of Messiah is for all of Israel. And so what do we do? We do many things. Number one, we have a great ministry of discipleship. It's very easy to raise your hand and say, yes, I will follow Yeshua. A much different thing is to persevere in the faith, particularly when you live in Israel, a place that is very much hostile towards those who call themselves Christians. And can you blame Jewish people for that? Let me give an example. Just two weeks ago, the mayor of Jerusalem enacted a new tax uh, and, and they say, well, we have the ch- all these churches with, you know, all these uh, acres of land, you know, that are not paying taxes. And those lands are being used for restaurants, shops, boutiques, private undertakings that have nothing to do with the church. And so the mayor of Jerusalem said, we're not going to tax the churches. We're not going to tax the lands that are being used for religious purposes. But we're going to tax those who 
those lands that are being used for commercial purposes. Guess what? Big problem. And the Catholic Church starts saying all these horrible things about the Jewish people. And in a very pompous ceremony, you know what they did? They closed the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I don't know if you know, you heard of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's one of the holiest sites in Israel. And so imagine all these people from all over the world who, has, who have paid thousands of dollars to come to visit Israel. They find that the church is, has closed the, the, the church in a protest. And then they said it's all the fault of the Jews. Can you blame Jewish people for not really liking Jesus? So we need to show... Who the real Messiah is. As a matter of fact, if you ever come to Israel, because that's one of the things we do, we bring people to Israel to see what Israel is and to minister in Israel in a very practical way, you will not be called Christians. No, no, no. You're not Christians. You're disciples or followers of the Nazarene. Because Jewish people will see the difference. So we do a great ministry of discipleship. We have a great youth group. We do a lot of discipleship with young Jewish people who accept the Lord and then go into the army. You know, life in Israel is tough. And if you're a woman, you need to do the army for two years. If you're a man, for three years. And so, well, you know, kids here just play Halo. Some of, you know, and, you know, and, and in their imagination, kill hundreds of people. You have very young kids who are putting their lives in harm's way every day to protect the land where they were born. And so we support those, um, those believers who are in the army. You know, we send them care packages. We, uh, we send them messages. And when they are out, of course, we have this youth group called Nadia where we disciple them and teach them the Bible, helping them to face the, the everyday problems. Second thing we do also is we do a lot of humanitarian work, both for believers and for unbelievers. And we do a lot of food distribution. And actually, uh, this, uh, just in a few weeks, we're going we uh, to start our first food distribution of the year. We do two a year, one for the Jewish New Year, which is in October, and another one for, for this period, this season, called uh, Passover. And it's called Operation Chesed. That's how Israelis say Chesed. You know what Chesed means? Grace and grace. So, um, so I hope that you will be praying for this. We also support. Uh, we have partnerships with uh, to support our Arab Christians, Christian brothers who live in Israel and who worship there. There's a, we have a great relationship with a pastor called Joseph Adad who uh, left uh, Lebanon with all his family when Hezbollah made a stronghold there, and they have, they were forced because they were Christians to move out. And they, they have made a life in Israel. So we do all those things. And you can help us. You can help us in three ways. Way number one is praying for us. And boy, we need your prayers. I just mentioned some of the things we, we are doing. And how can you know about us? Well, we have every Friday, we send a message from Jerusalem. I don't know if you knew, but Jewish people around the world, every weekend, they read the exact same passage. The Bible, the Jewish Bible, has been uh, partitioned in 52 portions, which are the ones that are read throughout every weekend. So uh, if you sign up for it, we'll be happy to send you our, what we call it, the weekly parasha. That's what the portion is called, the parasha. And so uh, uh, we'll send it to your email, and you can read what Jewish people are reading, but you can also get a devotional written by our very own director, Moran Rosenblatt, that shows how that text of the Old Testament is connected to Messiah Yeshua. So that way you can know about us, you can learn about us. By the way, if you have your phones there and you want to bless us right now, go to Facebook and like us on Facebook. Hope for Israel. And uh, you'll say, oh, that's nothing. No, that raises our visibility, that raises our profile on Facebook. So if you have your phones and you want to bless us right now, Go to Facebook, find Hope for Israel, and like us. Sounds strange. Please like me. Okay, but anyway, uh, but uh, we are in the the 21st century, you know. Okay, number two two way you can help us is by, uh, oh, by the way, if you want to sign up, I have those, uh, please come to the materials table at the end. I have those cards, which you can fill out. 
and uh, you can give it so we can send you this every week. Second way you can help us, Pastor Shane said it, we have some great materials about the Jewish roots of our faith. We have a fantastic CD with Messianic Israeli Jewish worship music, and uh, which we're go- I'm going to be selling. We have a book about the prophecies about the Messiah, all with great, all of them with great insight, uh, and will really uh, make you know more about the Old Testament. And finally, how are we doing with time? We're doing fine. Finally, you can help us by giving. And yes, uh, we depend on the uh, donations and the support of believers like you. So if the Lord calls you to do it, you can give tonight at the end. You can come to the table and donate to Hope for Israel. And uh, you can give by check. Uh, you can write it to Hope for Israel. You can give cash. Or if you want to use your credit card, we have the little gizmo that uh, will let me take your credit card. I just want you to know one thing, and I don't want to talk more about this. Whatever you give tonight will be used for Operation Hesed. Whatever you give tonight is going to be used to buy food. And, and to give that food to both fellow believers in Jesus who are in need. And people who are in need of something more than food. Who are in need of spiritual and material food. And so when you give tonight, uh, all that you give is going to be used to that effect. To give food during the Passover season, which is this week of festivities, uh, to those who really need it. In the land of Israel, in the place, in the places that you read about in the Bible every day. Okay, so I hope that the Lord will put that in your heart. All right. Now, it's time to come to the most important part of the evening. It is now time to partake from the third cup, the cup of redemption. But the service can continue. You see. We're missing something. The service can continue because there's something that at the very beginning was broken, was buried, and now we need to bring it back. Does anybody remember the name? Very good. The Afrikomen. This is a time that all the kids are waiting for, and they all get up, and they start running around the house trying to find the Afrikomen. Only one will find it. And when he finds it, he will return it to the Father who will unwrap it, will break it in little pieces. Every person at the table receives a piece like this, and this piece of bread will be taken along with the third cup, the cup of redemption. Does this look familiar? (laughs) It should. You see, this is the origin of the Lord's Supper. This is why we take the bread and the cup. Because even until today, Jewish people all over the world take a piece of bread and a cup to remember the body and the blood of those Passover lambs. Think about this. Where else can we see a better image of Jesus than in the Afikomen, which is without leaven, the symbol of a nature without sin. But I can see Messiah Yeshua not only in the Afikomen, but in the Matzah Tosh as well. Remember this pouch containing the three pieces of unleavened bread? Lots of questions amongst the rabbis about the meaning of this mysterious three in one. Hmm. Some say, well, it must remind us of the three patriarchs of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? Hmm. Others say, well, no, no, no. It probably reminds us of the three divisions, the three pillars of modern Judaism. That is, prayer, good deeds... And the rabbinical law. But why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? Hmm. 
Finally, some say, no, 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 no. Probably the answer is that he, that it reminds us of the three divisions of worship in the ancient kingdom of Israel. The priests, the Levites, and the Jewish people. But again, why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? You see, nobody knows. And none of these answers give me a, the, a, the right answer. But you see, why do we keep looking for answers? Why don't we accept the answer we find in the very design of the Masatos? You see, in it we have three parts, but they're one. They are a unity. And this reminds me of the time that God spoke to the Jewish people and said, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But the word used here to say one is the word ehad, which doesn't mean one. It means unity. And it is during the Passover that the Father removes the middle portion, breaks it in two, wraps it, and hides it like he buries it somewhere in the house. And it is this bread that then is brought back, broken in little pieces, given to everybody, and taken along for the, with the third cup. So, that's why the night that the Lord was betrayed, he took the third cup. How do we know that it's the third cup? Very simple. Even until today, what's the name of the cup that comes after dinner the cup of redemption everybody knows that so that night he took the he took the the cup the cup of redemption but before that he took the safi common the same the Jewish people take nowadays the one that they take to remember the body of those Passover lambs that gave us life And it was of this bread that he said, this is my body, which is broken for all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. So it seems appropriate, brothers and sisters, that we do the same thing now. So we have the elements. How how should we do the logistics of this, Pastor Shane? Okay. So, why don't you, uh, it's informal, we are in the family. So, why don't you come up, get the elements, bring them with you to the, to the pews, and uh, we'll continue when you have that. Friends, I wanted to know, I hope you understand the privilege you have. The book of Hebrews says that in the old covenant, many things were just a shadow of the things to come. And that's what my people have, a shadow. Because, they don't, because when they take this every year, and by the way, the 30th of uh, March is the first night of Passover. I just want you to know that for seven nights, Jewish people all over the world, in, even here, will be taking this, but they will only see the shadow. 
Count your blessings, brothers and sisters. Because you have seen the light. And you have understood the mystery. And so as we take of this afikomen, I hope that we, you will offer a prayer and thank the Lord for the mystery that has been revealed to you. Let's partake from the afikomen. Lord, we thank you because we all come from different places, different backgrounds, different families, and yet we are united here because of what you did for us. And we thank you because we don't see a shadow. We have seen you. And we thank you for your body that was broken for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, the text also says that the night that he was betrayed, after, after dinner, he took the cup. Now you know, it's the cup of redemption. That cup that had been waiting for him for centuries. Think about everything that happened to the Jewish people from the days of Exodus until the days of Jesus. Think about all the people that tried to kill the Jewish people to make this table disappear. But they couldn't. And this table was waiting for Jesus. Jesus had a historical appointment, an eternal appointment with this table. And everything that happened was, uh, was so that night he could say of this cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, let's drink from the cup of redemption to remember the blood that our Messiah shed for us on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. Thank you for being the Lamb of God. Thank you for shedding your blood for us. Thank you for making us new creatures. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. And so we come to the final cup. The cup of praise. The cup of Hallel. Hallel, Hallel, does that sound familiar? Hallel, Hallel. Hallelujah. That's the root of the word hallelujah. Hallel. And uh, the big question here is, do we have a reason to praise God tonight? The cup of praise. Can we really take from the cup of, of, of praise? And I'll tell you my reason. I became a believer in Jesus or in Yeshua because I just went to too many funerals. See, I was born in 1965, and starting in 1971, people started dying like flies in my family. My grandfather, my other grandfather, my grandmother, my aunt. And it seemed that like just every other month there would be another funeral. And I would go there and see the faces and the pain and the grief and the crying. And so one day I started getting really worried. What if it happened to me? And so I went to what I thought was the source of all wisdom and knowledge in the world, my Jewish mother. I said, Mom, what happens when you die? And she said, well, you just go to sleep forever. That freaked me out. <laughs> the, fa the, the, the idea that you would go to sleep and you would not wake up was just the scariest thing I could think of. But I was a kid. What were the chances? But I was still afraid. And the Lord brought me to a neighbor who started telling me about the one who said that we didn't need to be afraid because he was the first and the last. 
and that he was dead and then he was alive, Jesus. Which, of course, at first I didn't want to have anything to do with because, hey, I was Jew- I'm Jewish. And, you know, Argentina, Jesus, Maria, Jose. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. It doesn't get more Catholic than that. But through study, and the Lord was looking for me, I became a believer. Fast forward to the 5th of January of 2006. I had my first major surgery on that day. And, of course, I had my misgivings. So I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, Doc, is is it going to be okay? And he said, ah, with typical Argentine modesty or humility. Oh, don't worry. This is such an easy thing. I could do it with my eyes closed. And I guess he did because he left a vein open. And so a few hours after the, the, the surgery, I find myself in the ER dying. And the doctor comes in and says, Mr. Katz, I, I don't know how to best tell you this, but we don't know if you're going to make it. Your blood pressure is 80 over 20. You are very weak. And basically, we need to open you up again, find what's, you know... What's leaking? Leaking. It didn't sound that bad. You've got a leak. It was not a fire. You have a leak. But when you're leaking blood, it's another story. And I said, thank you, Doc. And so I prayed. I mean, what do you do? This was not a remote possibility. This was a very certain possibility. So I I prayed, and I said, Lord, if I make it, thank you. But if I don't, you know I have believed in your son. And I'll tell you something. The peace that I felt, that kid would have not believed in that peace. But you see, I wasn't that kid anymore. I was a man who had invited Yeshua to come into my heart. And I had that peace until they rolled me into the OR. I had that peace when they put me down. I had that peace when I woke up after 36 hours in a coma. Because I had Messiah, and I had a reason. And I have a reason to praise God. Do you have that reason? Many of my people don't. So I hope that you will pray for my people. And so, for the last time... Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, borei perich agafen. Thank you, Lord, for the Messiah who came to bring us joy to our lives. Ah, but one final thing. There is one cup that you always put at the table, but that nobody touches. As a matter of fact, in every table, you always put an extra spot with the best chair, the best cup, the best cutlery, the best of everything. That's for the prophet Elijah. You see, it is written in Judaism that before Messiah comes, he will be preceded by the return of the prophet Elijah. That is why at the end of every Passover dinner, the kids, they go to the door... They open it wide, and they yell three times, Elijah, 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 hoping that he will be there. He'll come to the house, take his seat, and announce that finally, Messiah has come. Well, as we say here in Texas, I tell you who I am. Elijah already came. You see, because when Jesus spoke of John the Baptist, what did he say? And if you care to accept him, he's that Elijah who was to come. So, friends, the prophet, the forerunner, has already come. And so has the Messiah. Thank you.
I hope that uh, this has shown you something more about the Lord's Supper. I hope that now you not only you know why Jesus dipped the bread in the dipped the bread, but also you'll see that you know it's not two plans of salvation. It's not Old Testament and New Testament. It's one plan, one revelation, one Savior. Thank you. May the Lord bless you.